Hello and welcome to the Beyond Devices podcast. My name is Jan Dawson. This is our question of the week episode for this week. And as with the last question of the week episode, this one is an interview with somebody uh, rather than a discussion between Aaron Miller, my normal co-host and myself. This time around, it's Mark Bergen, who is the Alphabet and Google reporter at Bloomberg, having covered that beat previously at Recode. Uh, Mark and I have known each other for several years now and talk quite a bit about all things Alphabet and Google. And I thought he'd be a great person to talk to about what's going on at Alphabet and Google. So this episode is basically my interview with him. Uh, as is often the case with these discussions, we were in different places recording in different ways. And so there's a bit of a mismatch between the audio, uh, but hopefully that won't be too distracting for you. Hopefully you'll be able to hear both of us okay. I've done my best to try to edit together the two sides of the conversation so that you can hear it well. Uh, but the rest of the episode, as I say, will be our conversation. And then I will be back at the end for just a few quick parting thoughts as well. Thanks. I think I first met Mark uh, when he was at Ad Age. I think we sat next to each other at a Samsung event in New York or something like that. And Mark subsequently went to uh, Recode and is now at Bloomberg. And so, Mark, it'd be great to just kind of hear from you, firstly, kind of how you got to where you are today career-wise, but also kind of what it is that you do in your job at Bloomberg today. Um, sure, I'll move backwards. Uh, I'm the Alphabet and Google Beat reporter at, at Bloomberg um, covering... Uh, the full gamut of companies under Alphabet. Um, I have some great assistance from you know, editors and colleagues here, especially with YouTube. I have a colleague in LA that handles that and a lot of YouTube coverage and um, with Verily and Calico, which are two biotech and healthcare companies. Um, but other than that, sort of the rest of the Alphabet domain is, is mine. Um, I, I did the same thing at Recode. Uh, and then, as you mentioned, I was at AdAge for uh, almost two years, year and a half there, covering um, my beat there was the uh, telcos and OEMs and covering them as both marketers and then looking at the world of mobile and digital advertising. Uh, and then before that, I, I spent a couple of years based in South India in Bangalore, and that's sort of how I got into tech reporting in a strange way. Um, I was doing freelance work there for a variety of publications, both uh, U.S. and British ones, uh, and some Indians ones as well. Um, and Bangalore, which is this outsourcing hub uh, for years, has actually become a center for this turn uh, towards you know, Indian startups building products for this gigantic and growing market. Uh, and that was my initial foray into tech coverage. Great. Fantastic. Well, um, you know, as I mentioned in the introduction, you're one of the reporters on Alphabet and Google that I respect the most. I'm grateful you're taking the time to talk to us today. And that's really Alphabet and Google that I want to dive into uh, in detail today. And I think the great place to start would just be talking about the Alphabet structure that's obviously been in place for some time now, although you had a recent piece about sort of a, an interesting sort of structural detail that just finally fell into place in the last couple of weeks. But I guess the first question I have for you is kind of how do you think that Alphabet structure is panning out? I mean, was this a good idea? Kind of how does it seem to be working out for the company? I think it was a great idea if, if the one, one of the chief goals was to um, make life easier for Google, for Sundar's Google. Um, and I think uh, if you judge it by that uh, metric, it's been a phenomenal success. Um, right? the, the stock has just grown tremendously in the past two years. I think Google's been, because this is Sundar Pachai's company, the internet company's been sort of untethered by a lot of these, the, the moonshots. Um, and in Ruth Porat, the CFO, has been able to sort of, I think, direct spending a lot more effectively in that structure, and investors are a lot happier with seeing the, the, 
larger margins with Google's core business uh, and able to kind of shelf off. Um, you know, the lot they see where they recognize that spending where for years they knew it was happening, but they weren't able to actually kind of attach a number to it and figure it right. Um, so if, I think that was a, a one primary metric uh, that Google has has done fairly well and I think got a lot of good attention. Sundar has been able to, to set an imprint and be the kind of central character and, and the manager and leader of that company. Um, the other alphabet, other bets, I think, have not gone according to plan. And part of that was reason, it's don't, not entirely positive there was a plan. Um, in some of our reporting, uh, we, we had an earlier story where some of the high-ranking executives weren't aware about this Alpha structure mm. in, until maybe weeks, weeks or months before. Right. Um, and what, when you mentioned that story from last week was they officially uh, had a new holding company called uh, the Roman numerals 26. Um, so there's a sort of a parent company, a holding company, and their operational, the, the operational companies. Um, and the reason they explained uh, for that move was because, um, which I didn't realize, but ever since for the past two years, the other bet subsidiaries like Nest and X, the Google X Lab, uh, the Waymo, the self-driving, were all technically subsidiaries of Google Inc. And so that, it, I think we made a lot of assumptions and we talked to some lawyers that sort of, it sounds like it's the truth, uh, the, the rationale behind this move was to to shield Google and the money making from any liabilities with right. say self-driving cars or biotech. Yeah. Um, and I do think, I mean, from what I understand, Larry Page has this sort of model of Berkshire Hathaway mm -hmm. um, that obsessed with sort of the Warren Buffett portfolio model. Um, I think by some measure, he succeeded in, in having a very wide portfolio. If you look at healthcare, um, they're kind of currently almost in every single sort of new frontier of biotech and medicine that they could possibly be in. Right. Um, and I think that that's a strategy that, that may pay off, especially if there's a lot of uncertainty about you know, which verticals or which technologies, um, which markets would pay off more than others. Uh, there, there definitely been, I think, we wrote about this last fall, um, that this balance between innovation and, and cost discipline at, at some of these units that before Alphabet were sort of able to didn't have as much of a strict budget or have the turnaround, um, you know, a, a business plan uh, within a shorter time frame. That's upset a lot of leaders. You've had this series of executives leave: um, Nest, Google Ventures, Google Fiber, a lot of key departures from X, and, and that's still continuing. And I think that that Larry and Sergey and the managers there are still sorting out what those other companies look like. Right. And do, do you feel like? I mean, one of the senses that I've had since the structure was put in place was on the one hand, as you say, sort of freed Google, made Google look a lot better on paper because it kind of stripped all the loss-making stuff out of it. But on the other hand, it really focused sort of this magnifying glass on all the other bets and perhaps accelerated the need for those companies to make money. I mean, do you think that was one of the, the reasons for doing the new structure was to kind of insert some fiscal discipline there where there perhaps hadn't been some before? I think so. Although, I mean, when you look at you know, it's not like there's a lot of people that say sort of that this has been an era of Ruth Porat really coming down hard. Um, I don't think that's necessarily the case, right? Like you, you see the losses have, have limited some, but there's still some X projects that are they're spending you know, a ton of money on the 
the internet balloons, and they're still pouring in a lot of money into self-driving cars uh, and a lot of these healthcare projects. Uh, they don't, in Verily is a good example, right? This is a company that's um, shortly after Alphabet, they spun out of Google X into their own company. They've brought a lot of licensing deals. Some of them are contributing to some revenue, although it seems to be a pretty small amount, but there doesn't seem to be pressure to turn that into a huge um, sustainable business anytime soon. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's not like every business has to generate revenue tomorrow still. There's still quite a long leash on at least some of those businesses. Yeah. And I think there's still, I mean, the idea that from what I understand that, that Larry and Sergey want them to operate really as, as autonomous units, as separate businesses that, that have a different management structure, um, different business plans, business models, um, different financial incentives from, from Google. Uh, and you saw that sort of like the self-driving car team was actually this really interesting. That project, when it first started, uh, set up an, a pay structure uh, that was entirely different um, than, than Google had. Um, and had and enormous payouts, right? Enormous payouts. Enormous payouts, which ironically sort of, uh, you know, that was in the past few years, you saw a lot of people leave because they got these enormous payouts. I think there were many other factors involved, but... Um, it, w- it was structured, the pay was structured in a way based on this like incentive structures because on miles driven and they just had these, you know, Anthony Lewandowski, the, the guy at the center of this Uber case has something like a $120 million bonus. Um, but you know, from when I've talked to people that have worked on these teams, you know, a lot of the conversation from the management is be nimble, be like a startup, um, which in some ways, you know, it's like be like a startup that has just this constant flow of money coming in right. with no with no real, um, you know, the startup always has this uh, this wall that they could hit, right? And right. Kind of like build, building the train tracks, that metaphor of building the train tracks as you're mm. going on the train. And, and this right. is like be, be a startup where we have this very long uh, railroad up in front of you. Right. But we have to pretend that we don't. Yeah, I, and I think actually Google Fiber is interesting because that was sort of a, an example where it seemed like the, the rug was pulled out of that project pretty swiftly. Mm. Um, and there are a lot of people that were close to that that are still sort of befuddled by the decision-making there. Right. What's your sense of kind of where that is now and kind of what the focus is and, and whether it's even really something that Google's actually investing in or whether the whole thing about, oh, we're looking into wireless technology was kind of cover for just shutting the whole thing down? Yeah. I don't know. I don't think it was cover, and I guess there's a couple, I don't have a lot of strong um, reporting behind this, but my sense is that this is an interest of, of the founders um, and the company for a long time, right, is to solve the the, the problem in the broadband market, um, that a lot of duopolies and monopolies and the internet speeds are much slower than they want them to be and solve it with some sort of new and innovative tech. I think they... They've thought a lot about, um, they're still thinking a lot about wireless spectrum, about some sort of millimeter wave as a potential solution there. Um, I, from what I understand, the new CEO who took over, um, he started earlier this year, he was meant to kind of come forward in the fall with a business plan for fiber. Uh, and then of course he left, I guess it would be two months now, rather, rather suddenly. Um, so I don't know what the, the future of that business is. Yeah, it does seem pretty uncertain at this point. Are there any other of the sort of other bets that you think are particularly interesting? Yeah, I mean, it, right now, DeepMind, the London AI um, branch is sort of in this um, strange limbo stage. But I think it, it, if they've not come out fully and said we're, you know, we're our own autonomous Alphabet unit like Waymo, but 
they, they think they consider themselves to be a, a separate company. Mm. Um, but that's certainly fascinating, right? I, I think they've, you know, they've made a lot of progress and they certainly grab a lot of headlines with, um, with their algorithm on Go and other kind of working uh, on, on you know, they had a big launch in China that was really splashy and strategic and um, from some people are saying that it was actually pretty smart and, and to get ahead in, in this market where you know Google's clearly been trying to get back in into China for some time and, and sort of AI is now um, both a, a huge interest to a lot of the companies and developers on the ground in China but also a um, we can kind of table that. I think it's Google China conversation is a separate one, but um, but DeepMind has that was a, a big showcase moment for them this year. They're still sort of considered like the Navy SEALs of, of machine learning, uh, and and they also have built up. I mean, they have the healthcare application that has, has struggled a bit, but um, they also have this model where they've applied their algorithms to make Google's data centers much more efficient. Um, and there's some people say that you know that alone could um, pay for the four hundred five hundred million dollars that, that Google paid for them. Right. Interesting. Okay. Um, so that was a, that was a fascinating one. I think uh, the two healthcare companies, Verily and Calico, um, are working in really interesting fields. Hire still be able to hire experts. Um, from what I understand, they are still. This is an area where where both Larry and Sergey are very passionate about and. And they seem pretty um, insulated from any any cuts mm. that other okay. other other divisions may have. Yeah. Uh, do you sense that they're actually getting anything done? I guess I, so you see a lot of partnerships, but then you see, I don't know, Snat, Stat News, for example, from the sort of life sciences industry, seems extremely skeptical of everything Google's doing, and they clearly have a point of view on this that that comes through in a lot of their reporting about it. But you know, is your sense that they're actually doing real? real things, making real progress on some of these thorny issues they're trying to tackle. I mean, there's sort of the diabetes monitoring and various other things like that. And I just, I sense a lot of skepticism. There's a lot of sort of pharmaceutical companies that want to hitch their wagon to Google because it makes them seem cool and high tech. But, um, you know, is there actually anything meaningful coming out of that? Uh, you know, I don't know. I mean, I think maybe one way to look at that is, is we could say the narrative around, like, say, self-driving cars, right, where um, a lot of companies that was initially Google was ahead and exploring this and there were a lot of companies who were willing to sort of partner with Google because they're Google um, and, and maybe a year and a half ago we thought oh wow where's Google's business model heading um, now Waymo clearly looks like it's like it's a leader they're kind of rolling out initial tests in, in the Phoenix area it's still unclear what their business model is but they have a lot of um, Fairly solid momentum. So that being said, I think you're you're right. There's been a lot of people in the industry that in the, in the biotech and pharma industry that have pointed at Verily and said, you know, one person told me sort of one person who started up was saying like we're trying to do one thing um, and do it really well, and Verily's trying to do everything. And they just mm -hmm. have there's a classic example of their budget's way too big. Mm -hmm. um, they sort of fit the mold of the Google ADD of moving right. from one project to another. Um, but in, in some of their, their earlier project with Novartis, they initially said that the contact lens would come out this summer. It's not. Um, they have some, you know, they've made some work, progress um, with the, the other diabetes monitor with uh, Dexcom. Right. Um, and I think that's, going back to the earlier point about a portfolio model, that is sort of where you could see some payoffs, right? Where mm -hmm. maybe they have a suite of, say, six or seven 
areas of food there. They're also doing this mosquito project with CRISPR. Um, if, if they have six projects and five of them collapse and one of them turns into a pretty solid multi-million dollar business, then you can still judge Sort of the VC success. model in some ways. Yeah, yeah, okay. I think so. Um, Although Google also seems to have several actual VC businesses <laughs> yeah. as well. Uh, I, I three, officially, I think. Yeah. Uh, they just started a new one uh, this mm -hmm. summer, just for yeah. AI. Yeah. Um, and I, do, I think going back to maybe what I, my point about DeepMind was that, you know, you, you, when a lot of the changes to Google Fiber and even a lot of the Google X projects, like, um, drones and robotics, where they've sort of pared back some of those efforts, they've really doubled down on software and machine learning. And that's sort of con consistent across the entire Alphabet portfolio mm -hmm. is that they believe that, that, that you know, Google is, Sundar's talked a lot about Google moving to an AI first company, right. and that, that will be their big advantage in, in healthcare, in transportation. Um, and I think that's why you know, maybe still looking for what that advantage is in the broad you know, broadband um, telco industry. Right. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's funny. I, I remember writing a piece a couple of years ago where I kind of said, what is Google, basically? And, is you know, people tend to think of it as an advertising company. This was pre the alphabet structure, but it already had a lot of the investments that are now other bets officially. And it's like the advertising side only explains the Google part, doesn't explain any of the rest of this, you know. And, um, it's not a search company. It's not, you know, and the only thing that really was a unifying thread was machine learning and AI. It was kind of that's really what ties all this stuff together, at least potentially. Mm -hmm. yeah. That that's been the, I think that's been the vision for the past few years. Um, how much how much of that is driven by, um, sort of I don't know if there was a wake up moment where they saw Alexa and Amazon, <laughs> moving, pretty aggressively. Um, I I think that there's a good case to be made that that, that was the wake up call where it's kind of if you look at the cloud business for instance, like Google's had this infrastructure in place for over a decade. And yet yeah. they just seeded, um, seeded this market to AWS. Mm -hmm. um, and I think there was a big, big concern there is like, do you see the future of search to, to Amazon? Right, right, yeah. Well, we talked quite a bit about the other bets, but even within Google, there's an other business which includes the Play Store and everything associated with that, it includes some of the newer hardware stuff that Google's doing. And it also includes the enterprise cloud business, which you kind of referred to very briefly just now in the context of AWS. Uh, it, it feels to me, at least, I'd be curious to get your take, as if over the last few months, that business is being taken a lot more seriously within Google. Like there's big investments being made there. It seems like Diane Green coming in to run it seems to have perhaps been a trigger or just the first outward sign of that change. But what's your sense of that? Am I right? Am I wrong? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think someone told me once that there are two areas... And, and Google that are, are growing or like will, will always grow now and that's search and cloud um, and I think they're sort of bitter because it's like everything else is kind of um, not um, second fiddle but much easier to get projects approved, acquisitions um, headcount that's where the focus of the company is um, and I, I think you know and there's the argument that Right now, they're in third place, uh, pretty distant third behind AWS and Microsoft and, and in, in cloud storage. Um, they might stay in third, third place for decades and still have a, right. a, a business that's almost on par with search, mm -hmm. um, if you look at the projections for the growth of cloud. Right. Um, I think that's where they expect to see a lot of their machine learning efforts sort of go to market, mm -hmm. right? Um, whether it's, it's that's been their, uh, the tactic so far with the cloud is we have 
you know, Google has this amazing machine learning system that we use internally, and, and, and we're giving you the honor of, <laughs> as a cloud customer, of, of being able to access it. Right, yeah. Um, yeah, that does seem to have been a big focus over the last few months, yeah. is kind of opening some of that stuff up to, mm -hmm. to developers or customers mm -hmm. of the cloud business. Yeah, I mean, this, the story that it's been, it's almost tired at this point, but I think it's still true, is like, can they become an enterprise sales company, right? This is sort of a DNA story where Microsoft is just inherently better at this. Right. And, um, and conversely, really bad at consumer stuff. You know, they're right, kind of coming at right. this from the opposite side and struggle on the consumer side. Yeah, which is, I think, and that's where, like, the alphabet question is, you know, I've had a lot of people ask, why isn't Google Cloud a separate alphabet company? But if you, if you build this structure in which you have, you're basically setting up autonomous companies that can operate um, independently and move and be more nimble, and this is a perfect case where you you say that they're kind of chained to this large consumer tech organization. Um, yeah. It, it doesn't seem like it's likely, but who, who knows? Mm. Yeah. No, certainly the Google brand counts for a lot, but the you've Google got brand. Other... And it, yeah. businesses that have Google in the name, like Google Fiber, that are technically separate alphabet companies. So right. even and I, is. I think that's the same question that's asked for hardware right now. I mean, at one point, Nest was meant to, when it was initially acquired, it was meant to be the Google's answer to Apple. Right. Um, and there's a series of you know, steps and, and um, corporate drama and, and market dynamics there that, that I mean, it's not, but mm -hmm. it, there is a new hardware division under Google. Right. Um, so some speculation is at some point, does that spin out and join Nest and become its own standalone hardware division? Mm. Yeah. Huh. Um, I want to pivot to talking about something different. It, it feels like just over the last few weeks, Google's been increasingly under fire around what you might call political issues. Um, you know, there was the EU decision that came down on the first of the three investigations around Google Shopping in which, uh, you know, Google belatedly complied with the sort of request to say how they were going to comply with uh, the, the action from the European Commission. Um, there was the firing of the engineer who wrote the sort of anti-diversity memo for one of a better shorthand on that. It's a very complex issue and complex situation. Uh, and then in the last couple of weeks, there was all this stuff about the think tank that Google had been funding directly or indirectly and that it seems to have applied some pressure to kind of shut down some of the stuff that was critical of Google that was coming out of there and a whole set of think pieces that have kind of come out after that sort of arguing that, yes, Google is very much too powerful and suppressing stuff. It just feels like from the right, you've got criticism over the firing of the Google engineer. From the left, you've got this stuff about antitrust and and so on. And so Google's suddenly under fire from both sides of the political spectrum. Here in the US and Europe, it's been a lot longer running. But you know, Google, which I think is largely speaking among the general population, is very much an admired company, a company a lot of us use every day and like a lot in many, in many ways, but suddenly is coming under fire politically. I mean, do you sense this stuff is all just going to blow over, or do you think this is sort of beginning of a change in how Google's perceived or something it's going to have to deal with more proactively? Um, it may blow over in the legislative sense. I, I, I'm not confident that and there have been a lot of people that have, after the EU charge, that have said, you know, pointed out that the FTC um, and the DOJ are pretty toothless on antitrust. Um, it doesn't seem like that's going to change. Right. Uh, right? I mean, in, in, unless it would be kind of, I mean, what's that, what the interesting dynamics are that these, there are these strange bedfellows where you have this sort of Steve Bannon wing. Um, that has made this claim that you know Google should be regulated like a utility, 
um, mm -hmm. and, and come after them for um, maybe arguing that they suppress conservative content in search results, right. um, which was just, and, and that was inflamed with the, the firing of um, the engineer with the memo. Um, and, and now you have, I mean, there's a, a stronger wave in the Democratic Party. There was a good piece this morning in the Washington Post about the sort of, the, there's always been this, this tension in the Democratic Party, and now you're seeing like the anti-monopoly wing getting new voice. Mm -hmm. um, I, I do think there's sort of a, a broader, ever since the election's been, it's been pretty stark, right, that, that these big tech companies that have um, always had this very flowery uh, utopian vision of the, of the future um, right. and, and, and coming to terms with the fact that uh, they, you know, they do employ fewer people, um, that they are responsible for a lot of um, these issues around like the, the spread of, of false information and fake news. Mm -hmm. um, that they're, you know, the, the Google and Facebook in particular have, are, are clearly just not, have never, not policing the content. Um, and I think in this year there's been a lot of changes, like unprecedented changes that Google's made on, in search in a way that they display search results that they never would do before. Um, mm -hmm. So I think that's, that's certainly feeling, feeling a pressure. Um, they, you know, they came out and they, they put a, they changed the policy around how you label so, and, and try to, uh, some way to measure the veracity of an article. Um, I think they're still sort of juggling with, because that's going to have, because already had some response on the right that just accused them of, uh, of being biased. Right. Um, so I, I think it's, I, I doubt that it's going to be a mass um, consumer departure to Bing. Mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't think it's going to affect their, um, you know, their search market uh, or even their advertising. Right. Um, that that said, the EU um, is, is nagging problem. It's just this this, yeah. this this biggest problem that Google's not been able to solve politically. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and um, you got two more investigations still underway. Right? Two more. There's there's talk about the investiture. The commissioner has always talked about how she might extend it to, um, you know, something like maybe travel, local search. Right. And at the time she said like I've got all these complaints and I'm knocking them off one by one. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and and there and, and that kind of simultaneously you have a lot of the publishers are, are still feeling pretty pressure. There's um, News Corp, The Guardian have been pretty vocal about Google and Facebook and their duopoly, mm -hmm. using that term a lot. Um, and, and I think publishers have been much more vocal in complaining to antitrust authorities. Right. Um, so I think it'll be it'll remain a, a huge political problem. Um, I think it'll remain, an, it's, you know, an opportunity for a lot of Google's normal um, rivals in D.C. to just, just keep hitting them while they're down. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that they're also sort of emblematic of, of tech in general just trying to navigate the Trump administration. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think we were sort of working on a story that, that never came to be because it was really hard to get our hands around, like, how company Google had which everyone is had talked about as being like so close to, to the Obama administration yeah and right like a lot of ex-Googlers were there um, Eric Schmidt who was a big Hillary supporter so you know right. are they basically uh, enemy number one in, in the Trump administration and that's not necessarily the case right Google's very close right. to Kevin McCarthy on the GOP side um, they're there they've formed alliances with a lot of Republicans over the years, um, and and doesn't seem like they're uh, under the like constant attack in, in DC. Right. Right. Yeah. 
so I don't know. It's complicated. I don't have a great. That was a, a lot of different answers. Yeah, no, <laughs> it's kind I, of a complicated, complicated situation, frankly. So. Yeah. So yeah. Um, one other thing that you know was in the news today, specifically we're recording on on Tuesday, September fifth. Um, I think you had a piece about this this morning. Is this Xiaomi deal with uh, Google, and and just kind of by way of con uh, context for this. Um, Android One's been out there as an initiative for several years. It's kind of gone a little bit quiet, doesn't ever seem to have gone particularly well. And then and suddenly Xiaomi, which has always been one of the biggest proponents of kind of customizing the Android UI and so on, suddenly comes out and says, we're going to do an Android One partnership where the whole point of Android One is this very stripped down, pretty much stock version of Android. So um, it's been kind of interesting to see that almost come out of nowhere. And you dig into it a little bit and you realize that actually Android One's been on several phones in Japan over the last year or so, which are also sort of mid-tier. Um, and, you know, you go back to I.O. earlier this year where Google announced Android Go and some other stuff around emerging markets and just a whole mess of stuff going on with Android and emerging markets and so on. But kind of what was your take on this Xiaomi story particularly that you wrote about? Um, and maybe maybe a theory that Android One is, is effectively like a, um, a Google marketing plan right i mean it it is initially their their uh, rollout in india three years ago they were sort of co-marketing and they get huge marketing budgets to help these these three um oems uh micromax uh, spice and carbon um right. and i you know but that initial plan was around uh trying to get to a hundred dollar price point right um and so this is this is around the same time that uh, facebook was sort of grappling with internet.org in india um google had launched was talking a lot about doing something similar where you kind of subsidize some of their apps. They actually pulled back from that plan, I think, in part because they saw Facebook sort of fall in its face. Right. Um, and this, I think the, the initial um, launch of Android One was a really stark demonstration of the problem with Android um, because yeah. you had, this was, you know, on the latest version, constant updates, um, has all the, it doesn't have much bloatware, uh, and and yet these OEMs just couldn't sell the phones because it's just like you know, India's incredibly competitive market. If you have an Android phone that's fifty dollars, no one's going to pay fifty dollars more. Um, and, you know they don't necessarily have a disposable income, and I think um, so. I, I was surprised to see them partner with Xiaomi for those reasons that you named. I mean, if you look at kind of down the details, this Android One phone with Xiaomi will actually have um, Xiaomi's um, file sharing app. It'll have its camera pre-installed. It has its social app. It has its e-commerce Play Store. So it's not pure, pure stock Android. Right. Uh, and and it's certainly a concession on Google. I think that I think it's smart for them because they they know how important this is. They know important how. I don't think at this point they they risk. There's no real cyanogen, right? That startup that was building right. sort of um, the Google free Android and actually had partnered with some Indian OEMs. But Cyanogen has, has sort of imploded, um, and and, it, and maybe they they saw Xiaomi as sort of their biggest threat, uh, and, and so by right of biggest potential of building uh, an Android version that wasn't Google's, mm-hmm. um, and so in that way is a very savvy business deal. Yeah. Um, and, and for I I don't know the details about Xiaomi's um, experiences in India. I know that uh, clearly they haven't seen as much success in India and Brazil as they have in China. Right. Um, so this is probably for them a, a really helpful helpful boost in the market. Right. Yeah, no, really interesting bit of news. 
Um, just to wrap up, I guess the question I have for you, and this is one of those nasty big picture questions that are always so hard to grapple with, but you know, you cover Alphabet and Google day in, day out. Kind of, What's your sense of the company at this point? Do you think they're largely in really good shape and we're going to see you know, another few years of you know, phenomenal success out of them as we have seen over the last few years? Do you see any sort of clouds on the horizon? Do you sort of, what's your take on kind of where they are at this point in their history and what the next few years will be like for them? You know, when I first started covering Google, the um, this was the, the kind of question that uh, when I was at Recode, it was Kara and Walt had this great uh, simple question for, for what Google was. Um, you know, are they the next Microsoft, right? Because at that point it was, had they, they were coasting on this this core business. Um, they were trying different things, but maybe not seeing where the next uh, the next big shift was, and, and just too large um, and bureaucratic to, to catch it, and they'll be left behind. Uh, I do think that, that in the past two and a half years, and and some of it's I think uh, going back to the alphabet point, they've it's done a good job of making them appear innovative at least. But right. but no one really no one asks that question anymore, right? Um, mm-hmm. You know, Google has. Uh, they on, on the business side, they their biggest threat was for a while was mobile advertising. Um, they have found a way to continue to um, to uh, take share of the mobile advertising market. CPCs, their cost per clicks are falling, and yet they keep every single quarter almost consistently they're they're beating estimates and they're they're right. making pretty solid returns. Um, and YouTube continues to be a huge growth engine and one of the smartest. Investments ever. I mean, where that where that goes, where YouTube goes, is um, a really interesting question, but probably mm-hmm. not as critical to Google's business. Um, that being said, I think you know the the like soft underbelly of the dragon. It, it remains Amazon. Um, right. It's just sort of the the dual threat of or how many searches are they losing through the front door when people go to Amazon on their app mm-hmm. or with Prime membership. Um, you know, and and what's their strategy with uh, voice search? Uh, I mean, I got it's still. Um, this is the favorite Google phrase of early days. I suppose the market in voice search and and home right. devices is still incredibly young. Um, but my impression, maybe you disagree, but just Alexa has a, a phenomenal execution strategy um, and seems to be everywhere. Where I think Google has not figured out exactly where, what their strategy with the assistant and how they tie assistant to commerce, um, and, you know how they're going to have a sort of uh, a broad, comprehensive um, approach with dealing with Amazon. Right. Yeah. No. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. I think assistant's probably subject we could spend another twenty minutes on, but you yeah, know, it yeah. feels like the technology is fantastic, but the business mm-hmm. model is not nearly as clear for Google as it is for Amazon. It seems to be advertising, mm-hmm. but. The, the first tiny bit of advertising they did had this huge backlash and just feels like it's going to be really tough for them to kind of pivot to that business model. Yeah, I mean, we saw that a few weeks ago they, they announced a partnership with Walmart, um, right. which seems smart. I think they'll be more like that. Um, but it it's, it's doesn't appear... It doesn't appear clear to me exactly like if Google at one point had Shopping Express, they had a delivery program, they had a big right. e-commerce push that sort of... Um, not delivered as, as as well as I expected, um, yeah. and 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 Amazon is always this this sort of lurking threat in the advertising world too because they have um, a lot of very granular consumer data. And if they sort of flip that switch. That's a big could possibly be you know you have like Martin Sorrell at WPP saying that that Amazon could be the 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 biggest threat to Google and Facebook. Yeah, yeah, fascinating stuff. 
Well, great. Well, thank you very much, Mark. I appreciate you taking the, the time to talk to me today for the podcast. So, yes, we just scratched the surface, it felt like. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So much more to talk about. That's the end of the interview with Mark. Hopefully you enjoyed that and found it as interesting as I did. Uh, we'll have a couple of links in the show notes that will uh, help you find Mark if you're interested in following on Twitter or seeing what he's been writing about on Bloomberg, for example. Uh, we'll also have our News Roundup episode in the later in the week to talk about some of the week's big news items, as usual. Uh, also, just a quick uh, heads up about next week. Next week is Apple's event for the fall. It's a big annual iPhone introduction event on Tuesday. I'll be there in person, and Aaron and I plan to record the Question of the Week episode as a deep dive on all the announcements from that event later in the day on Tuesday. So look out for that uh, episode next week. Uh, we This is something of a tradition for us here on the podcast is that we do a deep dive after these big announcement events. So look out for that next week. As I say, even before that, we'll have our News Roundup episode later this week. Uh, but have a great week, and we'll be back with you soon. Bye.